Welcome to the HR Ins and Outs for Small Business Podcast. My name is Matt Filer, and I'm joined today by Cindy Filer, uh, the CEO of Innovative Outsourcing, and Karen Moss, who is our HR expert at Innovative Outsourcing and leads our whole HR division. Uh, and they're going to be talking to you today about 1099s uh, versus W-2s and contractors versus employees and all the questions that small businesses have uh, with that. And so I'm going to hand it over to Cindy and Karen, and they can kind of take it from there. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, we're excited about talking about this today. Um, it's not something everybody wants to talk about, but it's something we really need to talk about because as we um, have, as we have mentioned, this rule is changing um, on March the 11th. It was passed um, January the 9th, um, but is going to be changing for everybody effective March the 11th. So very important that we talk about it. So um, as Matt also mentioned, Karen Moss is here, um, who runs our HR area, um, and she has a long background in human resources. And so she's going to be helping us on this. So Karen, kind of give us your kind of overall thought on this new law. What changed? Um, what What do we need to do um, do we need to worry about it? Is it much different than before, or is it pretty much the same? No, it is different. Um, and I think, and we're going to actually provide everybody a link so that you can look at a website that we found that's very helpful. <clears throat> I mean, it is different. Um, there are essentially six factors of this, what they talk about economic reality test. And it used to be two, right? It used to be two. Um, and so really, I think what would be very helpful, um, even for me, you know, someone who's been in HR for many years, is really looking at this and looking at examples. Examples are extremely helpful. And I think what's very confusing about this is in the past, some of these factors were weighted, um, but that's not the case with these. With these six factors... It's not you have to meet one, you have to meet five or six. It's, it's It really doesn't indicate that. It, no it's one kind of factor, interpretation. It is, and no one factor is actually more heavily weighted than the other. Which is, for those of you listening, which probably own companies and probably having to make these decisions, is probably very frustrating because it's like we just want the answer. But again, we're going to try to talk about these six factors. And before we do that, though, I want to jump back a little bit because... One of the things that we hear a lot about from our clients when I go in and we talk about um, 1099 versus um, employee, they say, oh, well, we decided this person was going to be a 1099. Or they came in and said they were willing to be a 1099, you know, based on what they wanted to do. Well, we need to look at that differently because we don't get, as business owners, we don't get the opportunity to make a decision on 1099 versus employee. That decision is made for us based on their job description by the federal government. So again, we don't get to just say, oh, we made a decision. Oh, and they signed a letter that we kind of formed that that's what they were intending to be. Because again, we don't get to choose the the employee or contractor doesn't get to choose. It's all based on job description. So just highlight that a little bit in your mind so that you kind of go back to square one, like what we are saying is not your option. It's the law. So. Correct. Correct. And yeah, when I do HR audits with businesses, we find that happens fairly often where 
they let the worker decide whether or not they want to be the contractor or the employee. So because the contractor may they they may want to do that because they get to write off their well exactly exactly they have their reasons for that, but that's really not the way to make the decision. Right. So I think what we want to do is go through these different factors and perhaps give some more examples of what we're talking about. Um, so the first one, opportunity for profit or loss, depending on managerial skill. Well, what does that mean? Really means is, is the worker making a determination about what should be paid for their work? Um, do they decide to accept or decline a job? So if someone is actually working for a company, they typically aren't making those kinds of decisions. If someone has their own business, um, they're making the decisions. You know, they're deciding what hours they're going to pay, what the projects are, whether they accept or decline the projects, how much they're going to get paid for the projects. If they're using subs. Correct. Um, are they actually, they're probably, if they're a contractor, they're going to be doing their own marketing so that's really where the difference comes in, and yeah, that's the, what that means. The, um, the kind of example that they give on the Department of Labor website is kind of the worker in a landscaping company, and that worker that actually works for a landscaping company that goes and actually does the landscaping work or sells for them or whatever, um, you know, they're, you know, the landscaping company is kind of deciding how much they do for those jobs, how many people are hired, you know, they're doing the the marketing and those kind of things. And they're only saying that the only type of person there that would be considered as an independent contractor would basically be somebody who has a landscaping company. Correct. You know, and the worker that does the landscaping service himself, negotiates the contracts, decides which jobs to perform, performs them, you know, decides who he needs to hire and what he needs to do and, and has a profit or loss. You know, he can he could actually take a loss on that job. Whereas if somebody works for a landscape company as the landscaper, he probably isn't going to take a loss for a job in his pay. No, so, he's just getting paid for the work that he's doing. Exactly. And so if you can't take a loss on something, um, then and, and not make those overall decisions on how that business is run, they're saying that you... You're an employee. Yeah, you don't right. pass that factor. Right. Which is a pretty high bar. <clears throat> it is a high bar. So the second factor is investments by the worker and the potential employer. And this one, I think, is a little bit easier to understand because as an employee, your your company would be giving you, let's say, a computer. They would be giving you training. Um, they would be giving you specific tools and equipment to use. You have a desk that you're at there. Um, you use their supplies. So in that particular situation, you know, they're investing in the tools that you use. If you're a contractor, you're paying for all of that. Um, as a contractor, you have your own laptop, you have your own supplies, um, you have your own cell phone. So I think that's a little bit clearer in terms of understanding whether someone is an employee or a contractor. Yeah, this one's a little bit more concrete, but that doesn't mean that you should take all of your remote employees and you should tell them they have to buy all of their own things. And then all of a sudden you're going to deem them contractors because that's just one factor. Right. Right. So right. a lot of people come and say, oh, well, they have their own computer, so they're an independent contractor. Well, that's not the case. That's just one of the factors. Right. Because let's, you know, let's talk about it. They're not creating, they may have um, a specific schedule, but the schedule's based on the company approving that. Um, they're working hours that are within the core hours of the company. 
the company's dictating that. Right. Yeah. So although that one's easy to fix, you know, well, I'm just going to have you buy your own computer and then you can be a 1099 contractor. Well, I don't think that's going to, that's not going to fly. It's not. It's no. not. Uh, so the third factor is degree of permanence of the work relationship. And so again, you know, is this someone who is working for you regularly, be it on a part-time basis, even seasonal, but they regularly are working for you seasonally? Um, do they work X number of hours a week? Um, or is it a situation where someone comes in for a particular project? Again, they do this not just for you, but for other people as well. Um, and it's not something that occurs on a regular basis. So a lot of times we have our clients because, you know, we hire permanent part-time roles as well as full-time roles. A lot of our people say, well, as long as they're part-time, they're probably contractors. Well, that is not correct. Um, it doesn't matter if you're part-time or you're full-time. What would matter is if, let's say, you work for lots of different companies, right? And right. and you have your own business and you work for a lot of different companies, but not really, not everybody that's part-time is obviously a contractor. Correct. Most people that are part-time will be an employee. They're typically employees of the company, yes. Especially like a, let's say you had a, somebody who was doing bookkeeping and payroll for you in your company that was part-time. That's absolutely an employee. But again, again, it comes down to looking at these other factors yeah. because they're part-time, but you're setting their hours, you're determining the work that they need to do. So again, that's where I think... And they're doing something crucial for your business. Right. You're, you're looking at all the factors. Yeah. It's not just one factor in particular. It's how they all work together. Right. So the fourth factor is nature and degree of control. So again, this kind of goes back to some of what we've talked about. You know, are you setting the worker's schedule? Are you supervising the performance of the work? Um, are you reserving the right to supervise or discipline people, all of those kinds of things would imply that someone is an employee. Yeah. Um, that, if you've ever done 1099 versus employee work in the past, that's a very typical one we've looked at, like exercising degree of control. And although you can kind of manipulate that, you kind of know when you exercise control over an employee. And that, that, that one tends to make more sense to me than some of the other ones. It does. All right, so the fifth factor, extent to which the work performed is an integral part of the employer's business. So this can be a little tricky, I think, sometimes, right? Um, you know, what really is critical, necessary, or central to the employer's principal business than if someone is doing work um, and it meets that criteria, they are an employee. So someone, let's say, who does, who's in a um, sales role, obviously they're selling products for the company. Uh, that's critical to their business, right? That's what they do. Right. Um, the other side of that is if someone's not critical, so... I love their tax role. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. somebody does accounting for you and does your payroll. That's critical to the business. So that one has to be an employee. If somebody is just doing the tax work once a year or twice a year, that can be an independent contractor. So there's a interesting, you know, it's, it's still finance, but it's different. I mean, if you if you do, they consider non-payroll accounting, it could be a contractor. 
like a like a um, partial CFO. Yeah, like a fr- fractional CFO, CFO something like That's that. That's a great example. But if there's payroll responsibility, which is needs to be in the day-to-day, it's now an employee. Correct. So again, have to look at these pretty carefully. Yeah. And then the the sixth factor is skill and initiative. Um, and again, this I think can can be a little bit more difficult, but you know, are there specialized skills in performing the work? Um, is the worker dependent on training from the employer in order to perform the work? If someone's bringing specialized skills to the employer, um, that may not be indicative. Um, so again, it's is the worker's use of those specialized skills taking the initiative? Does that mean that that that's more likely that someone is an independent contractor? So, for example, like HR consulting, let's look at that, for example, because uh, we have HR consultants who work with clients. They work with uh, different clients. They have their own business. Um, they determine the hours. You know, they work with the client, figure out what the project is. Um, but they're using highly specialized skills that the client, especially the small businesses, they don't have an HR professional. Yeah, but they also, because they're highly skilled, but they're also making decisions on how much do we charge for that project right. and how many hours are needed for that project and what's our, what are we going to make on that project and, and those kind of things. Again, kind of almost like running the whole piece of the business on that project. Whereas an HR consultant that works for you would just, you would just send out and do a little bit of work. Um, and they wouldn't have the full scope of that project. I mean, it really does seem like, I don't know what it seems like to you, but it kind of seems like these people that are there going to approve as independent contractors, it's like they're almost running their whole business because they keep bringing in marketing and pricing projects and, you know, not just doing the work, but actually having the whole business surrounding it. It is. It's it's very much like that, I think. And um, I think they're really trying to limit the scope of contractors. They are. Um, and so we really need to be very careful about this because the way these things seem to have been worded, it really shows that they're wanting anybody that's not really running a business to not be an independent contractor. That, is, be an employee. that is the way it appears. And so that's why I think... Because this is the final rule and the effective date is March 11th, we don't have all more details on, on a grace period, for example. But as a business, I think you have to really pay attention to this and think about what your plan is. And something that we had not talked about that I think is important to talk about is this all sounds fine. Yeah, I get it. I'm looking at this. But what we're telling you is the penalties in not doing this and going through the time and figuring out if you need to make changes, mm-hmm. the penalties can be very costly. Yeah. And you, when you, we've been through an, an audit before. We, we had have. an employee that um, wasn't even planning to file unemployment insurance on us um, because they were an independent contractor for us and truly an independent contractor. And I mean, I feel like we did everything to by the book. Um, And so, but they got laid off from the job after they went to us and unemployment insurance came to us as the second employer on record and said, oh, she wasn't an employee. She was an independent contractor. We're challenging that. And so we got an audit from the Department of Labor and we had to answer all of these questions. I mean, I understand the factor test was different, but it's very similar. And we had to prove 
that all of these things, she got to price out the jobs. She got to take jobs or not take jobs. She we had other ex- clients. Yeah, we didn't exercise any control. She was very part-time. She had other clients. She actually had a business card with a name on it that was a different business. I mean, and with all of that information, we had multiple calls and they finally ruled in our favor. And it's, I was very pleased that we had done all of those things. But I know that had we not known all of those things and we went through that factor test, we would have not been given grace on that. So I think you've got to be very careful because, I mean, if um, just, to, just to let you know, some of the things that you can be charged with if you incorrectly, even if you don't know what you're doing and incorrectly um, classify these employees, you have wage law violations, unpaid employment taxes that you have to go back and pay, I-9 violations, which is very expensive, as we know, unemployment insurance shortfalls, because if you haven't been paying for them as an employee and you haven't been paying unemployment insurance, you're going to have to go repay that, unpaid workers' comp premiums, improper exclusion for benefits, anti-discrimination violations, failure protect, um, to provide job-protected leave, failure, failure to provide the required notice. So you, there's all these things that you could be fined on if you don't do this right. So we always like to say, um, make sure that any time that you have somebody as a 1099 contractor, like right now, what you should do is if you are a company and you have any 1099 contractors, you should review those. So you should say, here are my 1099 contractors. Do they pass this test? Do I even understand this test? Call us if you don't, and we can always work with you to help you on this. It's It's a consulting piece that we do. Um, but help let us let us help you do that or make sure that you're classifying them correctly. Um, and know that if the Department of Labor comes to you and audits you, you're going to have to answer these questions. So make sure that you know in advance because we, you don't want all this stuff to happen to you. Um, so they need to do it fairly fast. They do because it's effective March 11th. And, you know, if in fact you've had someone as a contractor, let's say, for years now, and they really should be an employee as you're going through this, I think it is difficult to think about sitting down and having that conversation. However, the fact that this law, just the regulation just went into effect in January, I think is a good impetus for saying, hey, this just went into effect. You know, as a good business practice, we're looking at all of this, and this is what we've discovered, and this is what we need to do. Yeah, and um, they changed the factor test, so it doesn't pin you like you did something wrong in the past, it's a good opportunity to cleanly say the government changed the factor test. We now believe this doesn't pass the factor test, so we need to make you an employee. And then the last thing I think we need to talk about is what happens economically to the company, financially to the company that has to make somebody go from a contractor to an employee. Because obviously, as a contractor, we hope they're paying self-employment tax. So they're paying not only their um, their self-side employment taxes, but their employer taxes. So they're paying around 15%. So once they become an employee, then you have to pay 7.5%. So you're automatically be, going to be paying seven, at least 7.5% more. But also you're going to be paying for workers' comp, errors and emissions, um, benefits. If, you, if they're full-time, you'll need to pay benefits if that's, you know, if everybody has benefits. Um, also, you'll need to give them vacation that you may not have given them before. So you may need to think about their rate. So if they used to make $30 an hour and they didn't get all these things and now your burden, which we call in the recruiting industry a burden, which means that that's our cost for having that employee. If that's 15% or 18%, 
you're going to have to determine, do they get to keep their $30 an hour rate of pay as an employee because they're going to come out in great shape and you're not? So um, typically, sometimes when people do that, they decrease somebody's pay by at least 7.5% when they make them an employee because then everybody's whole because they're also not paying 15% of self-employment tax. They're only paying 7.5%. So it comes out even. So you just need to be thinking of that as you do this. If you only have one person, it's not probably a huge cost. If this is a work group of 30, then you need to start thinking about that. So again, probably also a different, difficult conversation to say, I'm, now I'm, you can't be an independent contractor and I'm decreasing your pay. So you're going to have to be really pretty good at how to communicate that. But we also don't want you to get on the other side, create all these employees, which you need to do from the new federal regulations, but also then find yourself in a really negative um, situation financially because of the extra cost for the employees. Well, thanks, Karen, for all that information. You're welcome. Um, It's not fun, um, but sometimes when we do HR things, we get to talk about like onboarding and making people happy. And then sometimes we have to talk about 1099s versus employees. So um, we are um, going to wrap up here. If you have any questions, we're always here to help you. Um, please make sure that you um, like our podcast and you connect with us on our um, on our website and, and communicate with us when you need us because we're here to kind of help you guys. Um, you guys have a great day.